Good evening and welcome to Christ the Cornerstone. It is Good Friday. It is the night that we ex- we remember what Christ has done for us tonight, and I welcome you. So let's sing together, let's pray together, let's hear a message from Pastor Vaughn. Thank you for being here.
take a moment this evening and pray together. I'm going to read part of the prayer that Jesus prayed that night when he was in the garden with Jesus or with his disciples. And that says in John chapter 17, after all these things, Jesus looked up into heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you gave, have given him. And this is the way to eternal life, to know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you have given me to do. So now, Father, bring me into glory, the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave to me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. And then later in that chapter, Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they also be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Let's continue in prayer. Jesus, we thank you once again. Come into our homes tonight as Pastor Vaughn brings a message to us. Anoint him once again. And may your Holy Spirit flow into every home and into every heart of person, each person that is watching and listening tonight. Speak to us, Jesus, the hope that you have for us. We expect you. We anticipate you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. everybody and welcome to Christ the Cornerstone Church and we just want to let all of you know how glad we are that you're here with us today to celebrate and this is a celebration of Jesus Christ to lift up the name of Jesus and just to thank God for all that he did those 2,000 years ago on Calvary's hill he didn't have to do it but he did he did what we could not do for ourselves amen he gave us a wonderful gift of redemption and righteousness. And what do we give him? Our sins to bear. So he deserves our praise. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're just going to celebrate Jesus and perhaps look at him and his sacrifice on Calvary's Hill in a slightly different way than what we used to do or the usual solemn way of looking at this occasion. Church, in my heart, I feel it's a time to rejoice 
and a time to be so thankful to our Jesus. Would you join me in a prayer before I get into the word? Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for allowing us all to be here today. Lord, these are tenuous times that we're going through right now. And and Lord, we need you. We need a Savior like never before. And it's so comforting, especially tonight, knowing what Jesus went through, what you did, God, so that you could save us for eternity. To know that if you did that, dear God, there's nothing you would spare to help us and to spare us through what we're going through right now as not only a nation, but a country. Lord, we need your help. We need your holy protection. As the wonderful king of Israel once said unto you, Jehoshaphat, he said, Lord, we cannot fight in this battle, but our eyes are upon you. Lord, tonight our eyes are upon you, and they're on your son Jesus, who we celebrate and commemorate for what he did for us in the past, and we're going to find out for what he's doing for us right now. These are all blessings we ask in Jesus Christ's most holy and wonderful name. Amen. And amen. And brothers and sisters, as I alluded to already, we're going through some very hard times in our nation. Not only the nation, the whole world is under attack by a vicious virus. And I do believe and hope that the world realizes how much we need this wonderful Savior who we are celebrating tonight, who we're commemorating what he did some 2,000 years ago on Calvary's Hill. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a mighty God Jesus is. If you'll turn in your scriptures with me or just, I'll read it for us. We're going to go to John, the Gospel of St. John, chapter 19, verses 17 to 30. And let me get that for us. If you have your Bibles, just go ahead and read with me, all right? It says, so they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called Place of the Skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side. With Jesus between them, and Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many people could see it. Then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, No. What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. 
Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so he soaked his punch in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word, sanctifying it deep within our hearts. And brothers, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, I had a wonderful message written up for this occasion. It had a lot of theology in it, some really strong points that I thought maybe would be very interesting. And I had about five, six, seven pages of this. And the good Lord and his wonderful Holy Spirit convicted me and said, what are you doing? This is not what I want you to do. And I've got those pages sitting right over there, but I wound up with just an outline. And that's all I need because he said, tell them what my son went through. Those words are wonderful, but tell them how you felt the first time you heard what my son experienced. You, as a father, you tell them how you feel. And that's what I want to just bring to you now. We didn't see a lot of that in this particular gospel. The others tell more about what Jesus went through. But I just want you to stop with me a moment and just think. Think as a parent, a brother, someone who loves somebody, and think about if that was your loved one that was going through what Jesus was going through. Church, they treated him horribly. And we're so used to hearing this, and we don't sometimes think about what Jesus went through. I'm so thankful for Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. It brought to life again the horrid, unhuman way we treated Jesus. I'll say we. Mankind, my friends, they beat him unmercifully with the back of their hand, with their fist. They pummeled him. The Bible tells us we could not even recognize him. There was nothing to be uh, desired in his appearance after he was beaten all night long. I imagine there's a whole lot of things they did they probably didn't tell us. They probably poked him in his eyes. Who knows what evil men will do? We do know that he had his beard pulled. He had a beard. That's how we oftentimes see Christ's picture with a beard. We know that because Scripture tells us they pulled his beard. If he, they pulled it all out. Who knows? But I know there's been a couple of times where I've seen people just take a pair of tweezers and pluck an eyelash or eyebrow, and it hurts. It hurts a lot. I can't imagine having my beard pulled out. And then they didn't stop there. They de- they, they declothed them unrobed him. They took his clothes off. They wanted to mock him and embarrass him. The pictures we usually see of Christ with the loincloth, that wasn't the way it was, church. They stripped him naked and beat him. They whipped him. Now, when they scourged you back in those days, it was usually with what was called a cat of nine tails. It was leather straps, maybe eight, nine, ten, twelve, with lead balls on the end of it. And they would take it and snap it. If you're a really good whip master, you knew how to pop it so it yanked the flesh out of the person when it came back. More than likely, this is what he suffered in his scourging. This is a part we don't hear a lot about. Yes, crucifying him to the cross was more than enough, but look at what he went through before he even got there. And then to finalize it, insulting him, they crowned him with thorns. 
He who is King of kings and is Lord of lords, the author and the finisher of our faith, the very creator of these people. For the Bible does tell us that all things were made by him. Without him was nothing made that was made. And that in him is life, and that life is the light of the world. And they tried to put the light out, but they couldn't put that light out. They thought they did. The devil thought they did, but they didn't put it out, did they? But they treated him so inhumanely. As I was thinking about it, I wept. I literally wept again. I felt sort of what I read in Revelations. I had come back to my old love for Christ. I felt what I did then. That anybody who could do that for me deserved my allegiance. They deserved my love. Because I don't love myself that much. I don't know anybody I could do that for. I'll be honest. I could not sacrifice any of my children for any of you. And I love all of you. I really do. But it's not in me to let you have one of my children. But God did. He certainly did. They nailed him to the cross. And he hung there for hours and hours and hours. He could have called down legions of angels. He already said that. He was the in charge of the heavenly host. He's the Lord of hosts. But he didn't do it. Psalm 24 tells us that he is the Lord of hosts. Who is the Lord of hosts? It is our Jesus. He is the king of glory. But the king of glory hung on a cross, and he took it. And he took it because he loved you, he loved you, and he loved me. That's the God we serve. That is our wonderful and mighty Jesus. He went through all of this church for a reason. One of the reasons is nobody else could do it but him. He's the only one who could do this. The Bible tells us in Hebrews without the shedding of blood, and it had to be precious, perfect, blood without a blemish. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We could never be forgiven of our sins if it had not been for Jesus hanging on that cross. He did what no one else could do. And that brings me to Another very important point. I want to bring this out because nowadays you hear this word, this S word, three letters. You probably know what it is, sin. We hear it called everything but sin. People talk about sin, they think it's a joke. Sin is cool. Even got, I'm not going to go there, but they call places a sinful place and it's supposed to be nice. People want to go there. Sin is good. What used to be sin, people call addictions. There is no such thing as a little sin. There is no sin, such thing as a little lie, a white lie. They're all dead flies. Solomon said dead flies in the ointment spoil the entire apothecary. You know, it must all be thrown out. Just one dead fly and just one sin, brothers and sisters, caused Jesus Christ to be hung on that cross. On that cross. Not the Jews. Not the Romans who nailed him to the cross. It was sin. And that sin, I'm just going to go there a little bit because a lot of people don't even know where this all originated from. It's called the original sin with Adam and Eve. Some 5,000 years ago, we believe, it's known as the fall. God had given them a perfect, beautiful world. Everything was perfect. They were perfect. This world was without blight, without blemish, without thorn or thistle. It was perfect, beautiful. But Adam and Eve, 
they allowed themselves to be beguiled. Those are Eve's words. She said, the serpent beguiled me to be tempted. Temptation is not a sin. But when you yield to it, when you disobey God, that's the sin. We're always going to see temptations. Satan will make sure of that. But you don't have to give in to them. Just because you think it, you don't have to do it. You can control your thoughts. You can control your urges. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I believe it's 10, verse 3 to 5, uh, that we can cast down imaginations and every high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We don't have to do everything we think. We can cast down those thoughts. I wish Adam and Eve had done that. If they had done that, millions of millions of people would not have died that have died since then. We would not be experiencing this uh, virus right now, coronavirus. It wouldn't be here because every good and perfect gift comes from our Father of lights. Amen? This did not come from God. God might allow it to teach us a lesson. I don't know. I'm not God. He's been known to do that. He used Nebuchadnezzar and the uh, uh, Babylonians to teach uh, Jerusalem a lesson, the Israelites, and the Assyrians did likewise. He didn't make them do it, but he used them. Maybe God is trying to tell us something. I don't know. But because of that incident with Adam and Eve, where they would not acquiesce to the sovereignty of God, where they decided they did not want to obey him, but bite, take a bite, just one bite from this fruit. People say it's an apple. We don't know what it was. But it was the forbidden fruit. That's the main thing we need to remember. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were forbidden to eat from it. And they did it. And that's sin. To do anything that God tells you not to do is sin, brothers and sisters. And we're told that in Proverbs thirteen fifteen that the way of sin, it is hard on us. It'll always be hard when you go against God. You might think you're getting away with something. But the exact words are the way of the transgressor is hard. Romans 6.26 tells us, For the wages of sin are death. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, who saves us and gives us the victory. It's the free gift of God, eternal life. And we need to thank God every day that we have it. But it was only through Jesus and what he did on that cross that we have it. If not, we would all one day have to pay for those sins. But because Jesus did, we're free. We don't have to. Jesus took the burden for us, brothers and sisters. Aren't you glad? I know I am. I am. And now we go into what we call God's plan for redemption. From that very first sin, God immediately decided, I'm not going to let this ride. It's not going to go like this. I'm going to redeem my people. I love them. They're my children. Satan is not going to get away with this. So we have what in theological terms is called God's plan for redemption. And in Genesis 3.15, we see where it is first incremented, where God first makes mention as to what he's going to do. He says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman talking to Satan, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head. And Jesus did that when he hung on that cross. And when he died, 
When all those little demons down in hell were thinking everything's wonderful, we got them. No, he's got you. And when he left out of that place, he took the keys to the grave, to hell and death with him. Amen. Praise God. That's our wonderful God. And it said also, you will strike his heel. And Satan has been trying to strike our heel ever since that day. He's been trying to delineate the effectiveness of the Jewish line that God was going to bring the Messiah, the Savior, through. Satan knows that. He knew that. That's why he has tried so many ways and times to kill off the Jewish race. And brothers and sisters, contrary to what you might think, if you are a born-again believer, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, he's no friend of yours either. He wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you. This is John 10.10. And he wants to destroy you and your family any way he can. He does not want you to succeed in your beliefs and in your trust and your serving of the Lord. He'll try everything he can to thwart you. He didn't want me up here tonight, and I know that. He did not want me saying the words I'm saying. He did not want me to say that sin is sin and that the wages of sin is death. It's in the Bible. Anybody can read it. But now the whole world, because of this Internet, they're hearing that. I know there's some people out there who probably say, I didn't know that. I thought sin was fun. It was a cool thing. No. You're being bamboozled. You're being deceived like Eve. Sin causes great harm. It's like when you throw a little pebble into a pool and the ripples come out. And it just goes more and more and more until it ripples over the entire lake. That's what a little bit of sin will do to us, brothers and sisters. Satan has been trying all the way through the prophets and all the line of Israel to destroy them, to cause them to fall. He's done many different things, which we don't have time now to discuss. But you read your Bible, read your Old Testament, you'll see where time after time he tried to thwart them. And that's what he's good at. He's good at trying to destroy the good works of God. The very things he tells us in this world are against the will and the word of God. James calls them, Paul calls them a doctrine of demons. If it goes against the word of God, they're doctrines of demons. They're not to be believed, trusted, or obeyed. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, then you turn from it. Paul said there's a way that seems right to a man, woman, but the end of it is death. From such turn away, don't even get near it. It might look good. It might smell good. It might taste good. It might get away from it. Don't go near it. It wants to bring you down, brothers and sisters. There's a reason why God did it, why he sent his son. One part of that answer is to combat against sin, to negate what sin had done. Jesus had to shed his blood. But the other reason I want to bring to you in closing here is that he did it out of love. Nobody made him do it. We sort of touched on that. No one made him do it. I think we all know John 3:16 that tells us that God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten son. He didn't have five, ten more at home. His only begotten son, who was also God, by the way, so that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, brothers and sisters. That's how much he loved us. Jesus loved us so much that he did not say one mumbling word, the Bible says, as they nailed him to that cross. 
He did it willingly and lovingly for us, brothers and sisters. That's the God who we're trying to present to you tonight. He's asking only that you will trust him and obey him. This used to be an old song we used to sing in the church. Trust and obey. Remember? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's all he's asking us to do. And if you have a problem doing it, he said, remember what my son did for you. And you shouldn't have any problem doing that. Folks, Jesus is still giving to us right now. Even though he did that 2,000 years ago on the cross, he's still giving us his blood is still alive, and it is still blessing us, and it is still saving us. The scriptures tell us that he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace, our shalom, our well-being is on Jesus, and by his stripes we are healed. When you have stripes, you have blood. Blood for healing. We call him Jehovah Rophe. He is our God that heals. He said, I will send healing upon my words. Upon the wings of his word, he sends healing to us. He said, I'm the Lord your God who heal up all your diseases. Lord, we ask today that you will heal us from this dreaded virus right now. I think God is trying to tell us something today, church. I think it's no coincidence that this is happening during Holy Week. I think, like Jehoshaphat said, he wants us to look up and see him. And I'm going to end on a prayer that's going to incorporate one of my favorite verses pertaining to looking up to God and asking him for his holy help at a time like this. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us all to be here tonight. Lord, you're so wonderful. You've been so beautiful protecting us. You keep us safe from all hurt, harm, and danger, Lord. We ask that you continue to raise up a hedge of protection around us, dear God. Keep us safe from danger seen and unseen alike, like this virus. Lord, we ask that, as you said in Psalm 91, that you will give your angels charge over us and keep us in all our ways. That they will cover us with your feathers so that under your wings we can trust. May your truth be our shield and our buckler. May we not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that walk up in darkness, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. And though a thousand may fall on our side and ten thousand at our right hand, it will not come nigh us. You said when we call upon you, you will hear us. You will be with us in trouble. Lord, be with us right now, please. You say, dear God, you will honor us. And a long life satisfies and show us your salvation. We thank you for that promise in Psalm 91. It's called the Psalm of Life, the Psalm of Protection. I, I ask that everybody here start praying it every night. Pray it over your family. And Lord, I just feel in my heart I need to say to you, forgive me for my sins. This is the time we all need to be looking up to you and say, Lord, forgive us of sins of omission and commission. We were told by Solomon, who spoke as your oracle at the dedication of the temple, that if my people who are called by my name will but humble themselves and pray. If they'll seek my face and turn from their wicked, wicked ways, then I will forget their sins. I'll hear from heaven, and I will heal their lands. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving us another chance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. God bless you.
So glad you were able to join us tonight. We thank you for being here with us. We now, we, we go into a season of, uh, traditionally, it's a season of a vigil, of remembering, holding each other in love, praying for one another until we gather together on Easter morning and when we celebrate with the rising of the sun, the good word that Jesus Christ is risen. So go forth from now wherever you are. Love those who are with you. Love those around you. Care for one another with all the love of God through faith in Jesus Christ. God bless you all.
的。